Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The following podcast contains explicit language. <laughs> Wednesday, October 5th, 2015, from Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The vice presidential debate might have been, I'm going to say it turns out that it was the first debate what could be a trend. Tim Kaine treated the debate as an opportunity to take 90 minutes and turn it into an effective 90-second ad. And with that ad, the DNC skewered Mike Pence's inability to effectively engage with the more outrageous statements that Donald Trump made during the campaign. Now, if you heard my rapid response this morning, you know that I think that Pence came off better. Most people do. But I also think that he didn't help Trump very much. But that doesn't mean that Tim Kaine was the least effective performer on the stage last night. No, that would go to debate moderator Elaine Quijano, who was composed on point, but too on point. Perhaps she wasn't used to debate moderation. Perhaps she wasn't even used to confrontational interviews. I have searched her output, and I only found one hard-hitting interview with a politician that she's conducted. It was with Bernie Sanders, and her co-anchor did more of the heavy lifting there. But Quijano too often shut down what could have been interesting exchanges. Here's an example. Governor Pence, I'll give you an opportunity to respond. Well, uh, thanks, Elaine. Uh, There they go again. Okay. All Donald Trump and I have said about Social Security is we're going to meet our obligations to our seniors. That's it. Go read the book. We've said we're going to meet the obligations of Medicare. Uh, that, that's what this campaign is really about, Senator. And I get this is this is the old scare tactic that but, they roll but, out. Scare but you the have a voting record, and, Governor. And I get all of that. I I, I just look. I, I, I there's a question that you asked a little I bit earlier. I can't believe that, that you won't defend to. your own voting record. I have to go back to. Well, I, it, well, look. So there, Keanu's trying to jump in. And at this point, it is right to inform the candidates that if you talk over each other, no one is served. But had she had just emphasized that forcefully and repeatedly, you can talk over each other, but you can have at it, we would have had a better debate. But what Quijano did instead was to take candidate disagreement as a signal to change topics. Here's an example. That's we, not we what should not, talking about. We should not be able to bring up and talk about bias in the system. Senator, we'll never solve the African, problem. Governor when Pence, an African-American police officer is involved in a police action shooting involving an African-American, why would Hillary Clinton accuse that African-American police well, officer it, of implicit I, I guess bias? I can't believe you are defending the position that there is no bias and it's, it's a topic. I, we Governor don't Pence, I have a question I, I on that point. I did not make that statement. Your I, fellow Republican, Governor Pence, Senator Tim Scott, who is African-American, recently spoke on the Senate floor. You really needed to get that Tim Scott quote in there? You were so proud of that Tim Scott quote that you couldn't have the two candidates argue about the meaning of implicit bias? That would have been illustrative. Then there was this exchange. When Donald Trump says about your judge, a Hoosier judge, he said that Judge Curiel was unqualified, unqualified to hear a case because his parents were Mexican. I can't imagine how you could defend that. And we'd have to go on imagining because the next words were spoken by Quijano. Gentlemen, I'd like to shift now to the threat of terrorism. But this one, this next one, this was the worst. 
So here, Tim Kaine says, answer these charges. I have six charges. Answer each of them. And Pence says, sure, I'll answer them one by one. Hear what happens next. Six times tonight, I have said to Governor Pence, I can't imagine how you can defend your running mate's position on one issue after the next. And in all six cases, he's refused to defend well, his let's, running let's, mate's No, no, don't put words in my mouth. And yet, he is asking everybody to vote for somebody that he cannot defend. And I just think that should oh, be underlined. All right, gentlemen, let's talk about Russia. Elaine, I'm this very, is very, very topic happy to defend Donald Trump. I will give you an opportunity to, to do time, that. I'll take them one at a time. More nations should get nuclear weapons. Don't put try words to defend into my mouth. Well, he never said that, All right. Senator. And he has absolutely said it. Saudi Arabia, South Korea, Japan. Gentlemen, Russia. Russian President Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine, annexed Crimea, and has provided... Gentlemen, Russia. He barely got to one of the six. And Pence said he would engage. That's why we came. And we'll never know how different things could have been had the moderator listened to where the debate was going and let it go there. Not take her hands entirely off the wheel, but steer it, rein it in when the overtalking got out of hand, but let the candidates really debate instead of getting to her loose leaf binder of an agenda. Ah, well, Martha Raddatz, Anderson Cooper, and the average American citizen, now it is your turn. There's no spiel today. I did that early this morning. But let us move now from the BS to the BMI, the body mass index. Three-word phrase ends in index. It's a number. And yet still, we got to ask, is this bullshit? BMI has come up during this campaign as relates to the Republican nominee, Donald Trump. BMI, Donald Trump, you're thinking, oh, does that stand for bloviating monstrous id? Does it stand for boring motor-mouthed idiot? No, no, we're talking about the BMI, the body mass index, went on Dr. Oz, seemed kind of odd, but notice all the news coverage? BMI, though an imperfect indicator. Yeah, just how imperfect is it? In fact, is it more than merely imperfect is BMI bullshit? Well, when that question, like like Batman, but with bullshit, it's Maria Konnikova. When that question arises, Maria is here. She is the author of The Confidence Game, and she tests scientific claims or quasi-scientific claims or concepts and takes it to the test. BMI is that bullshit. Hello, Maria. How are you? Hey, Mike. Doing well. My cape's getting in the way, though. Yes. We're, that's right. Your cowl, your cape, your boy wonder sidekick. So, Donald Trump has a BMI of 30.3, which puts him into the casually obese category, possibly obese. Now, we do know something about BMIs of people when they are self-reported, like mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Well, this isn't self-reported. He quoted it from uh, not, not the gastroenterologist guy, some excellent health records that a TV doctor read. So this is oh, this so is pretty this is official. real. Okay, yeah. if it on the chance that it were to be self-reported, uh-huh. um, we would probably assume that it's higher yeah. than reported. He is a bigly man. Is, he is. is what we know. He is. He yes. is. Um, it's the hands because BMI does not actually account for the weight <laughs> of the hands. Yeah. And if you're an especially big-handed person, yeah. you're going to come across as obese when really mm-hmm. you just have large right. hands. He's a tremendous, tremendous man. 
I do think that it is just in so many ways, red flags go up about the quasi science of it, that there's a ratio and a number is squared and there are initials. But isn't it just the old height weight chart? Isn't that really what it is? It is. It would be the ratio of his weight in kilograms yeah. divided by his height squared in meters. Okay, couple things, couple things. Weight in kilograms. Yes, and height in meters, but not yeah. just height, height squared. This number was called the Ketle Index, um, named after Adolf Ketle uh-huh. um, from the 1800s, who was not a doctor and not a scientist, but rather a mathematician. Mm-hmm. And... Wait, the height in, in what? The height in what unit? Meters. So, okay, so, so he's that's from Belgium. Why it's all metric. That's why okay, it's all metric. It, yes, yeah. that's why it is all metric. He didn't develop it to figure out who was overweight, which is how BMI is used today. He developed it because he was questing for the so-called average man. Mm-hmm. He wanted to figure out what different averages were because there was a big shift in what we know about Weight. So in the past, for centuries, being corpulent was was a sign of good health. And it meant that you were prosperous. It meant you were wealthy. Hell. Absolutely. Hale and hearty. Um, and then something happened in the 1800s. People started noticing, especially actuaries and insurance companies, that the Hale and hearty were dying yeah. um, much faster. Hey, the gout got the guy. Yeah. Exactly. And so they wanted to figure out, well, what's normal? Mm-hmm. You know, what is average? And so Ketle, this mathematician, started playing around with different numbers. And there is no rationale for why he's decided to square the height. He basically just had a lot of data, what you were talking about, height, weight charts. And he tried to make sense of it. He tried to figure out, well, which of these guys are dying? Which of these guys are average? So he took three categories. He basically divided the weight into normal, smaller, and bigger. And he's not talking about, once again, overweight at this point. He's just trying to figure out the average man. Um, And he tries to make numbers that make sense. And, you know, height by weight doesn't quite work. Weight by height doesn't quite work. And when he squares the height, he actually gets a number that ends up working. Yeah. Um, And you end up seeing a relationship between health and what actuaries can can charge different people. But wait, did, was he going for, he wanted like the average man to come up with a nice round number. He kind of retrofitted it. Well, if I square it, if I cube it. He was, he was trying to find a ratio that would actually describe something. Yes. Um, the cutoffs that we have today are actually derived from his initial tablets. If you are under 18.5, mm-hmm. You are underweight and you need to gain some weight. Mm-hmm. If you're between 18.5 and 24.9, mm-hmm. you're good. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're over 30, you're obese. Now, uh, this for men. So that's a wonderful question, Mike, because there is no distinction between men and women, that's even stupid. though originally, I've seen both. Different. <laughs> even though originally this calculation was made on men mm-hmm. and It turns out that originally this calculation, not to get too much ahead of ourselves, might have been much more accurate than it is today because people were sedentary much more than today. Who is he measuring? He's measuring wealthy white Belgians, right? The people who actually have actuaries who who care about them. And so most wealthy white Belgians in the 1800s 
aren't going for jogs or running marathons. When he does the calculation, it's pretty accurate. But what ends up happening in the 20th century? So this isn't used for for figuring out who needs to gain or lose weight until after World War II, which is when people decide that we need to figure out how to make people healthy. Well, I remember it wasn't commonly cited when I was young. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's still not commonly cited for kids. There's the height weight chart. But then I remember, I don't know, maybe this was sometime in the 80s, maybe it was the 90s. It was like this innovation that was marketed to us as the old height weight chart. That was a little crude. Actually, a better calculation is BMI. And I wasn't the uh, podcast host I am now, but immediately I said, but it's just a height weight chart. That's all it is, is a height weight chart. Great, there's a ratio and you double something. He could have applied any multiple to the height and any multiple to the weight, as long as it's divided, as long as it's a ratio. I mean, he comes up with numbers like 18 or 24. As long as you're establishing a ratio, you're just telling me a height weight ratio and you're never going to get better than the pitfalls and failings of a height weight ratio. This is absolutely true. It's a very crude measure. It becomes even cruder over time because what happens? People start exercising. Yeah. And if you're someone who exercises um, and if you've ever had this conversation, you know, this argument with your physician, people who are healthier might weigh more because they have more muscle because muscle weighs more than fat. And BMI has no way of distinguishing where the weight is coming from. Is it bones? Is it muscle? Is it fat? If it's fat, what kind of fat is it? We know that some types of fat are much more dangerous than others. So BMI initially came into use because of epidemiological studies that looked at cardiovascular health and noticed that um, there was a certain correlation with weight. And so they thought maybe we can use this old index they Renamed it BMI because no one wants to say Ketelet index every time they're doing this. Ketelet. <laughs> I know. I kind of want to say ole, it. Ole. Yes. And so they notice this correlation. They decide that this is going to be a good index. And yet, the more we learn about risk of cardiovascular disease, the more we realize that where the fat is actually matters. So belly fat, much worse than fat you know, around your bones. And yet, the BMI has absolutely no way to distinguish And so um, there was a study that came out last year in PLOS One that showed that that basically— Wait, N PLOS One, the literary journal? No, PLOS One, (laughs) PLOS One. Very good. Basically, they looked at medical records, and they looked at whether BMI was accurately capturing whether someone was overweight in a way that was clinically disturbing. And what they found was that for women, it underestimated the risk that um, women were overweight— um, and we're at risk for cardiovascular disease. I guess it's hard to do a really accurate body fat test. Uh, not that hard, but, you know, it's not as simple as stepping on a scale. Is that a lot better? It, telling it, you, uh, it is. Health? It yeah. is. Um, so the body fat ratio is actually much better than just stepping on a scale, but it's much more difficult. So what BMI is so damn convenient. You know, yeah. you, you just plug in some numbers. But I've also seen that they have this new version of a by body type. So if you call yourself, well, I'm of a muscular or I'm uh, an ectomorph, I'm a skinny physique, right. they'll have like 
their numbers about what if the numbers correlate to obese, yeah. they'll give you a dispensation if you say you're muscular. It's so stupid. Yeah. So so people, I mean, people are aware of the problems. And by the way, that not only was this just men, but let me just reiterate that, that this was white Belgians. Yes. And so we don't know about any ethnic differences um, in BMI. Yeah, that's true. We, we don't actually know yeah. what the ranges are supposed to be. And you know, health and fat, it's a continuum. theres It's not like there's a magic number, which is what the BMI gives you. That said, there aren't that many good alternatives for what number can you give people. Waist size ain't and bad. Weight si- waist size <laughs> is the best one. one. Yeah. Except, except the waist size they tell you with your pants is a lie. Vanity sizing is bullshit. So I think, I mean, there's Almost nothing that's not problematic mm-hmm. about BMI. This might be interesting because we do this yeah. and I usually defer to you. Yeah. But I think we might have um, a subjective debate when I ask you, BMI, is it bullshit? And by is it bullshit, I don't mean is that the ratio it says right. it is. Is it at all useful to hold on to this as a societal measure of health, obesity, or anything regarding weight? I think that... For now, yes. it's we shouldn't just get rid of it because we don't necessarily have lots of stuff to replace it with, but we should take it with a huge, huge grain of salt and we should realize- Which is also not good for you. Which is also not good for right. you. Especially and if your BMI is over like 25. Yes. We should do it as one of many, many measures. Yeah. I think that getting rid of BMI altogether would force some innovation because there are better measures out yes. there. And the other thing about being inaccurate, it's one thing if it's accurate for a certain population or accurate in ways that we know it's accurate, but it's just randomly inaccurate. Yeah, and, and that's extremely frustrating. And it's inaccurate even for white male Belgians. Yes, yes. In the 20th century. And I think the final word on this is what we're saying. I think I can infer you're saying Donald Trump is the picture of good health. You agree with his gastroenterologist. There's never been a healthier man to run for president. Absolutely not. There Absolutely not. He is. He's perfect. Maria Konnikova, author of The Confidence Game, not a gastroenterologist, not my cousin. She plays Is That Bullshit with us. This was one of the good ones because I think we've, we've fomented a movement I hope so. I hope so. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike. And that's it for today's show. Mary Wilson is producer of The Gist. She happens to know the secret explanation that makes Lost all make sense. It's that, oh, we've got to get to Chris Berube, Gist producer, who finally has one easy mnemonic device that will help you remember every internet password you've ever had. You just take the first letter and on to Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, who has a very serious warning about the potentially deadly effects of mixing two common food ingredients. One is turmeric and the other is, but now to Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network. And he says, always leave them wanting the gist. We used our PC to calculate the perfect weight of a floozy who hangs out with the Frisco Rough Riders of the Texas League. It's an IBM MILB Bimbo BMI. And it's about 19. Um, Umpru, depru, dupru, and thanks for listening.